My name is Humble Gray, and I am a Mississippi farmer. Now, first a question. Before I begin today's review, how would you, my intelligent listeners, pronounce a name spelled G-A-W-A-I-N? I would say Gawain, wouldn't you? But when I saw the movie I'm critiquing, they were all pronouncing it Garwin. So apparently the British have invented yet another way to screw up the English language. It's not enough that they add extraneous U's and A's to everything. They've got to mess with our long and short vowels. Really raises some color. C-O-L-O, no U, R in my face. Fortunately, they're an ocean away, so American English, the best English, can stay pure. Yes, siree. Anyway, I am today reviewing The Green Knight. Regale me. Yes, sir. As I said, it's The Green Knight, a film based on the Arthurian tale, Sir Garwin and The Green Knight. That, in case you were unaware, is a classic poem written in the late 14th century by nobody knows who. That's right, the author remains anonymous. But whoever it was, they must have had a cinematic flair, because the movie follows many of the basic plot points of the original story. Well, at least if the spark notes are to be believed. I mean, I didn't go out and read a 600-year-old poem, because frankly, not a farmer like yours truly, that's for sure. I'm too busy plowing the fields, milking the cow, and going where on Sunday? The church! You bet. But if we might get back to the movie, the story, see, has all to do with the not-so-virtuous Garwin. This fella, he's a member of Arthur's court, whose desire to serve as king is eclipsed only by his craving for alcohol and fornication. But this wastrel's life, simple and pleasurable as it may be, gets complicated when, during the court's Christmas feast, a towering greenish figure with skin like bark enters the hall. That's right, barges right in, this green knight, as he's called, having been summoned forth by Garwin's mother, the enchantress Morgan Le Fay, and he has the gall to challenge the assemblage to a game, and I don't mean Texas Hold'em. No, he says he'll allow somebody to strike a blow against him, but only on the condition that in one year's time that person has to visit him in a place called the Green Chapel. Visit him so that he, the Green Knight, can strike the same blow against this opponent. So Garwin, eager to prove himself, takes up the challenge and strikes at the knight with a mighty axe. Now here's the thing. He knows that in a year's time he's supposed to receive the same blow, so you'd think if he were at all smart, he'd maybe, I don't know, nick the fellow lightly on the shoulder or something like that. But this genius just goes all out, and what does he do? He chops off the Green Knight's head. Yeah, that's right, lops it clean off the guy's shoulders, only to find out, surprise, surprise, that this guy's a supernatural being who doesn't die. No, his headless body merely picks up his noggin and leaves the hall on the horse he rode in on, but not before telling Garwin that he'll be seeing him to return the favor. One year hence. Gosh, you talk slow. Anyway, over the next year, Garwin does not change his ways, diligently keeping up with his carousing while gaining some measure of fame for his little encounter the previous Christmas. As the next December 25th approaches, however, King Arthur insists that the boy head for the Green Chapel to finish what he started. And since you can't really tell his fabled majesty that, no, I'd rather not risk my neck, literally, there's nothing for it but for Garwin to don chainmail, mount his trusty steed, and venture out into the wilderness, therein to find the chapel and maybe get his head cut off. 
It's his journey, then, that makes up most of the picture as he encounters thieves, a ghost, an apparently friendly fox, and mystical giants. His travails, however, ultimately leave him without a horse, food, or most of his possessions. So it's none too soon that he finds himself at a lavish castle, a castle where his jolly host proffers rest, nourishment, and camaraderie as the big day approaches. Meantime, the lady of the house does some proffering herself, offering him a very good time, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Evil laugh is right. And if I'm not missing my guess, she may actually be someone in disguise who's very close to him indeed, but maybe that's just my speculation. There's also some business with a magical cloth that tied round your waist protects you from harm and an ending where... Well, I'm not going to give it away, but let's just say that somebody involved in this picture may have seen Martin Scorsese's The Last Temptation of Christ and taken some serious notes. <laughs> no, and maybe it's just a coincidence. I don't know. Now, as far as how I'm going to rate this movie, I'm kind of on the fence about that. Do I give it two and a half bales of hay, thus designating it as just fair in quality, or three bales of hay for a rating of good? I have to hand it to director David Lowry for tackling a subject like this without turning it into some kind of martial arts adventure. He's not afraid of silence and stillness as a means to explore character. No, he is not. On the other hand, those virtues can also be drawbacks at times, as the story is not quite so taut as one might hope. Nonetheless, Lowry chose right in casting Dev Patel as Garwin. A British actor of Indian descent, he helped break color barriers in a diversely cast version of David Copperfield two years ago, and does the same here. A very human Garwin, he makes the lad's missteps, vanity, and occasional lack of courage believable, and in fact, sometimes even understandable. I also like Barry Keoghan as the thief who Garwin runs across in a field of dead soldiers. It's a loose and funny performance tinged with danger and a hint of insanity. And Joel Edgerton, he's a... Hail fellow well met is the lord of the castle where Garwin seeks solace, but within that big performance he subtly exposes the hidden seams of the man's personality. Meanwhile, Alicia Vikander assumes a dual role as both the lady of the castle and as Essel, the woman that Garwin uh, shows affection for back in Camelot. As the lady, her speech on the blessings and blights of the colored green is a welcome bit of eloquence in an action-packed movie year, painting a sensual picture with words. So ultimately, I say, if you're a patient moviegoer, you ought to see this picture. Why? Because, smarty pants, that patience will be rewarded with a thoughtful production. And if you eschew the theater and see it at home on DVD, you can amuse yourself by shouting lines from Monty Python and the Holy Grail. I've had your head off. No, you haven't. And so on and so forth. Yes, sir. Next week, I'll be reviewing the film The Suicide Squad, about a bunch of villains forced to do good. What's the secret to that, and could it work on Congress? Play me out, Zeke. <laughs>